China, if a Russia, if a U.S., if any country uh, violates the principles of the WTO, there's a dispute resolution process uh, by which other countries can complain. It is a um, a long, lengthy, extremely slow, lawyer-ridden process. It is not immediate. So if the U.S. does something wrong today and China complains about it, it may be two years before there's any consequence for that. And by, by then, the damage is done. Before we get started with the show, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Global Training Center. As trade compliance professionals, you want to make sure that your procedures and documentation are completed as correctly as possible to avoid any delays and possible fines. We provide a range of trade compliance courses that will fit your needs. From in-person or web training to recorded on-demand courses, we can train one or even thousands on your team through your learning platform or on our portal. We can even customize a private session for your team. Go to globaltrainingcenter.com to find out more. Hey, uh, Lala, we're back for another uh, episode here with Simply Trade. For those that are listening, uh, we appreciate you uh, tuning in to us. And, uh, again, we're, we always say this, we're so thankful for your uh uh, uh, listening chip, if you will, <laughs> however you want to, I don't know what the proper term is for it. Cause, uh, anyway, Lala, I hope you're doing well. As like, I know in the news, we've had, uh, uh, some interesting, you know, developments there, there apparently are more floating objects over the U S of recent. <laughs> and it is, it amazes me on how we have to send up an F 35 and fire a half million dollar missile to bring down a balloon. But yeah, it's crazy, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy times. All that to say, you know, looking forward to finding out the research and, and all those kinds of things. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, what are, uh, is the origin of some of these uh, aircraft, if you want to call them balloons. And then there are some other aircraft of some kind. And in that, the infractions of, potentially of trade relations as we get into some of that as well. But uh, what do you think about all that, Lalo? Well, I mean, even the trust, right? I mean, it's just that that uh, we're trying to build trust with, well, for sure we know that big balloon, the first one that got shot down was from China. You know, the other ones are still um, speculative if there were research balloons or private companies or whatnot. They, 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 they did rule out China. So, but uh, at least the very first one, um, you know, it's just the the trust thing. You know, we 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 here we are trying to figure out you know better ways to to build our trade programs with them and and not have to, you know, I guess. I I mean, unfortunately, I guess that that's that's where where we're at right now. You know, it's just uh, trying to figure out what and how we can work better as far as trade relations are and uh, and uh, when when someone sends a balloon up like that over our country you know i guess it does it does hurt the trust level and uh, kind of drop us down a few pegs well with that I, i'll say i'm looking forward to uh, our show today and and folks this is going to be one that you really need to bookmark for sure because we're going to wind up talking about some really important things that you need to educate yourself um on some history that we're going to get to talk about. And then uh, secondarily to that, talk about some of the current events as far as the effects on that. But we've got somebody that is, I've got a lot of respect for, but he's been a good friend of both of ours, Lalo, for quite some time. And a lot of y'all know him from, especially the different trade associations and all that. But, uh, uh, 
Lyle, do you want to introduce uh, our guest for us? Sure. Um, so, and like you said, you know, I have a fellow Texan here uh, on the on the podcast. <laughs> uh, we, um, <laughs> although in uh, on the uh, on total extremes, right from El Paso to Houston, is uh, I tell people I can drive to L.A. a lot faster than I can drive to Houston, and uh, people sometimes are blown away how big Texas is, but <laughs> that's literally true. I mean, it's like no joke. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, we do have a. Uh, um, Larry Hansen, uh, Lawrence Hansen, everybody knows him as Larry, um, from uh, Houston. He has his own uh, law firm, of course. And uh, and yes, you're right, Andy. Everybody knows him from the, especially from the associations. I mean, he does teach law and he he does a bunch of other stuff that is a little more low key because of the, uh, you know, the 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 um, the gain or the audience that that we're gonna that that he can get. But for sure, with the trade associations, I mean, I think you pick any any conference and he's just at about any one of those, you know, AEI, NCBFAA, um, the, uh, the ICPA, of course. And then I know, you know, there's a bunch of other regional stuff and I know he's, he's normally always there, you know, if not a sponsor, a speaker or, or a supporter of some sort or another. So, so welcome, Larry. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for, thank you, Larry, for coming on board. I'm glad to have you. Thanks by Andy and Delilah for, uh, for inviting me to do this and especially this topic here. Um, it's one of my favorite topics and you're writing, Andy, this really ties into current events. Uh, so I'm really happy to talk about how the history going back quite a few decades, uh, will affect where we are today. And, um, the general, the general thought I think is those who are well-versed in the history of trade law, at least from the world war one on, um, are very scared. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of, we made mistakes in the past. We'll make some of the same mistakes again. So I'm really glad to talk about this. Uh, I have three articles on this subject uh, that are on LinkedIn as well. So they can pick up on read on those if they want. I'll go through the history. Let me, let me just say is that uh, we'll be posting in, uh, in our show notes, the, uh, the links with, you know, Larry's bio, if you want in his contact information, but seriously, he just mentioned LinkedIn and that's something you need to reach out to uh, Larry. Hopefully you'll reach out to Lalo and myself as well and follow us. Cause there's a lot of information that we post out there, but Larry has some good information and uh, some good facts and, and things. And he and I have had some intense discussions at times. And I just enjoy talking about, it. we're going to be talking today about the world trade organization, about GATT, uh, about the, the different trade uh, deals that are going on out there and, and whatnot and how, you know, the accountability or the lack thereof and the different manipulation of different things, uh, of all that. So, uh, Larry, how do you, where do you want to start here? I want to start with World War I. Uh, that's where I want to start here. Um, uh, the, to understand uh, the direction of where we are today on trade law and where we might be going on trade law, you have to know your history. That is true in so many things here. So I want to take us back to not the beginning of time. You can go back to world history and uh, Silk Road of the Chinese uh, dynasties uh, down to Rome and Egypt. You can do all those things here. But I want to focus on a particular uh, earth-shaking moments of, um, uh, between World War I and World War II uh, that were really critical here. It really starts with actually with the end of World War I and how things that happened back then affect trade today through the GATT, through the WTO and uh, current events, you know, the Trump tariffs and things like that. And I'd probably begin the story with the end of World War One. End of World War One, Germany lost and the countries of the world said that we've never had anything like this, truly world war, uh, the war to end all wars. Um, and it was the, the great war. one as they would call it. Yeah. 
And the question of how do you handle that now? What do we do now about that? And it's now pretty well universally agreed upon historians and economic historians that it was handled incorrectly. Uh, the thought back in 1917 uh, was to punish Germany, um, take away things, build them under under what was the Treaty of Versailles at the time. Uh, we, um, uh, we, the world, uh, ordered Germany to pay 2.269 billion marks. Uh, which was more than they were going to be able to pay in the early 1920s, but that's the next story. Um, but it also restricted trade. Trade restrictions on Germany were very critical. That was part of the punishment. And it wasn't just to punish Germany. It was to keep Germany from developing um, again and starting World War II. Um, um, I'm sorry, uh, the next the next world war here. So, um, so we in 269 billion marks, German marks, uh, and trade restrictions such as economic restrictions on um, prohibited the use of coal, iron, and steel by domestic German industries. Um, that was very, very severe. It really it just punished uh, and, um, and protected the world from Germany at the time we thought that. Uh, economists like uh, uh, John Keynes, um, Keynes from in London uh, said back in then, 1919, 1920, we're on, we're on the wrong path here. This is a bad idea. We are going to create um, a, a situation where you're going to have more conflicts here. We're going to create a situation where Germany, Germany in particular, as the, um, the punished party, is going to be, be motivated to start the next world war. This is a flat out mistake. Uh, no one listened to him. And um, so Germany is punished. Uh, early 1920s, Germany just can't even pay this anymore. Uh, world is falling apart here. We're, not, we're only a few more years to the Depression. Uh, we have other problems going on in the world here. Germany defaults on its payment here. Uh, it has no economy or anything else here. Uh, and uh, they were just really hurting. Um, and so uh, late 20s, um, we have more problems in the United States. Uh, you had the, the world of the Depression in the United States. So Germany is broke. They can't pay their their, their, their fees. And they're, they're broke and um, itching to do something about that. We have our problems alone with the depression here. We can't do an awful lot. We, we have our own economic problems. That says it goes worldwide here. Um, our response to that in uh, early 1930s was to uh, bring on Smoot-Hawley, some of the worst trade laws ever, uh, increased tariffs uh, around the world. And that's, that led to retaliation here. Um, so through the 1930s, mid-1930s, Germany's really hurting, the world is hurting. We're in a really bad time here. Um, Germany in particular was feeling particularly bad because they, they had the thought of, man, we're not, we're not being respected. You know, that world war well, war. let me inter interject in here just a second, though. Let's look back because back during the 30s is where the different trade laws you were talking about going in with the countries were going for more, if you want to call it protectionism, they were trying to protect their own economies because of, uh, they were all hurting hence the tariffs. Yeah. So it was restricting international trade among all the different countries usually. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, it, so, so, you know, just trying to set that in perspective as we're going through, there was being punitive against Germany during that time. Uh, being, you know, then you had the scenario where different economies were struggling. So then they started going and saying, Hey, let's, let's add tariffs for non-domestic sourced goods in different countries. So right. you got that scenario going. All right. So now let's keep progressing on. So as we're going yeah, through. Hey everyone, we're getting ready for another annual ICPA event coming up the week of March 12th in Orlando, Florida. If you have been thinking of attending any of the ICPA conferences, this is the one you should not miss. 
There will be more sessions than any other conference with a guaranteed sell-off, so hurry and get your tickets today. We are also excited to share that Simply Trade podcast will be in the attendance and we want you to be part of our show. Listen to episodes 14, 15, and 16 to find out why you can't miss this conference. The 30s were a time of great protectionism, great tariffs around the world, and it really didn't help anyone's economy. Uh, it was a very much a self-protection kind of thing, and that was, that was a thought there. Um, and Germany, Germany certainly had a face of that. And so now mid-1930s, um, Germany in particular um, didn't like anything that was going on here. And so uh, this relatively small, nondescript, not well, not well known, not very popular, uh, failed uh, soldier by the name of Adolf Hitler said, you know what, I got an idea. Uh, I can I can use this. Uh, so he uh, used the resentment uh, that was available there and created some of his own here against uh, uh, not just you know, Germany is being picked on by the rest of the world, and he would cite the Treaty of Versailles as an example of that. Uh, and then he also uh, created resentment internally. Uh, immigrants, obviously, Jews, certain religious groups. Um, and uh, so we had that to the mid-30s, um, leading ultimately to the uh, the World War World War II uh, and, the, and the Holocaust here. Um, trade law begins to wing in this, I think, in... Um, um, what well, was called the Atlantic in 1941, August 4th, 1941, uh, interesting time, and not people don't know this history, but uh, Winston Churchill got secretly on a boat, uh, HMS Prince of Wales, and went over to Newfoundland and met with uh, Roosevelt, President Roosevelt. President Roosevelt had a cover that he was fishing in the Potomac, but no one really believed him. He was up in Newfoundland for a couple of days talking to, to Churchill. Uh, uh, is August 4th, 1941. Uh, 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 London is clearly involved in the war already. It'd be about very shortly, six weeks, I think, before Germany attacks Russia. World War II is raging in Europe. We are there, but we are not in the war yet. There's still four months before uh, Pearl Harbor. So we know about the war. We probably knew about the Holocaust, but we did not know. We didn't, We were not entered into any of these things here. So, yeah, so Winston Churchill and um, uh, Roosevelt get together and uh, they said, you know, just, you know, man to man here, and with, of course, a huge staff, but um, uh, what are we going to do about all this stuff? And they came up with a thing called the Atlantic Charter. The Atlantic Charter uh, was an important piece of uh, historical uh, literature here. It was actually never signed by anyone. There's a bunch of guys getting together. How are we going to solve this problem? And there's obvious things, anti-Nazi, bring peace to the world. I mean, there was a definite, most of it was really that. But Clause 4 and 5 of the um, of, um of the Atlantic Charter advanced the idea that we made a mistake after World War One, and that we should go for things like economic um, um, parity, economic economic um, justice would be would be good. We'd be better off in ending a war by not making the same mistake we did with Germany after World War One. So there were there were two different clauses there, uh, fourth and fifth. Uh, the clause four I can read is just, just one sentence. Uh, clause four, uh, the parties will endeavor with due respect for their existing obligations to further the enjoyment by all states, great or small, victory or vanquished, uh, uh, act as on equal terms to the trade and to the raw materials of the world which are needed for economic prosperity. That was clause four. Clause five is slightly shorter. They desire to bring the fullest collaboration between all nations in the economic field with the object of securing for all improved labor standards, economic advancement, and social security. So very, very much a um, uh, economic base. We got to do better than we did in, in, a, in World War uh, at the end of World War One. So um, the war ends, um, and um, they get they get together, 
and they begin to put some um, some meat on those bones. Uh, that the meat would eventually become a general agreement on tariffs and trade, but wasn't that fast. Uh, this was a couple of years in the, in the making here uh, after World War after World War II um, to try to get the, to get this all together here. And the debates, if you read the history history back then, among the politicians and the economists um, and the, the, the pundits back then, there was a great deal of concern about this idea: national sovereignty, national security. We just finished the Second World War, and just a few decades apart. You know, really, pe people could remember both of them. It wasn't more than a hundred years apart, you know, thirty years apart. Um, People remember these things and think, okay, this is going to be happening every 30 years. We have another world war. We've got to do better than this. We've got to do something here. And so Gat was uh, born out of that, the idea that we have to do something better than we did after World War I. So uh, there was a great deal of debate, and the debates are important to read as well. Um, uh, the United States um, didn't like this idea. They were giving up sovereignty, but they recognized, you know, we are better at peace than we are at war. And so maybe um, some degree of trade parity would be good. We still don't want to make the mistake, same mistake we did with the world with Germany in World War One. Uh, our biggest opponent, Brian, was, was Europe. I'm sorry, uh, England. England uh, was, uh, I mean, there was a lot of debate in that scenario. And, and it was like, I guess, Larry, would you say that during that debate, it was the people that were, I guess, wanting to hang on to, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way sure. you traditionally you deal with it with tariffs. You deal with all that versus this is what, even though they didn't call it that at the time, but it was more open trade type scenarios, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was the idea of the imperial protection. Uh, the British empire had, uh, had its ways. It had tariffs. Uh, you, you can go back to, uh, 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 taxes on tea in the United States. That's another whole story. We can go back to the 1700s. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's another 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 webinar, I think. But the um, uh, but this this was the debate back then, and, and it took a, it took years to get this done. But the idea was that there was um, there was a consensus early on that we got to do better than World War One. But when it came down to you know, making individual sacrifices, it was harder to get that. And so the original GATT proposals were much more grandiose, and they got more, they got settled down here a little bit more. Um, um, so we, so we, we finally passed GATT. Um, and the way GATT was supposed to work, there are certain things they were going to, to look at here. Let me get the, the GATT rules, uh, what they wanted to do here. But certain things they wanted to do. Reciprocity, that countries would have reciprocal treatment of things. Um, the concept of most favored nation uh, and non-discrimination that... Um, we're all countries that are equal in, in some respects, and uh, all countries should be treated the same. We should specifically not treat uh, countries, some more favorable than others, uh, on different things here. So most favored nation treatment is important. National treatment, that uh, once you have paid your dues going to the country, you should be able to treat that as a, anything else. There should be no more discrimination on those things here. So, yeah, starting off with just those concepts that were there. Um, uh, the way the GATT worked is you had different rounds of discussion. Um, so they began, um, I have a, a list of timeline and all these things here. There's a good article on the history of GATT here. Um, it is passed, uh, 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 United States and, and Europe, uh, England was really the, the largest forces behind it, but others joined. Eventually, un, over 100 joined. It became a very popular thing, but a bit watered down maybe from the original goals here. And they got together in a few years uh, to discuss uh, trade law. And there was you know, a meeting, the different rounds, if you will. The, the, the first six were uh, from 1947 to 1961. Um, there were six different rounds. I won't give you all the names there. And they dealt only with tariffs. Tariff reduction was the only thing on the plate here. Tariff reduction was the only important thing. 
1967, tariffs were still on, tariffs are always on the table, you know, the reduction of tariffs here. But anti-dumping measures um, became up, um, on the issue in 1964, 1967. Uh, Tokyo Round <coughs> was in 1973 and and very importantly, the uh, the world, the creation of the World Trade Organization, uh, which took place in 1994. Um, so, so that's what we had here. You know, we had a recognition that we had to agree on something. We got to do better than World War One, but uh, there, it was hard sell. It was not. It was a hard sell. But uh, reduction of tariffs are pretty good, and pretty much all of the um, uh, economic um, studies show great international prosperity. Not necessarily even. Uh, there is more attention today than perhaps then with non-developing countries or less developed countries and whether they truly enjoyed all the benefits the United States or, or England had enjoyed and all these things here. But, but that was the concepts that were there uh, under, under, under GAP. I think historically, as we look back, uh, was GAP successful? Yes and no. Uh, we haven't had a world war. So I guess we uh, that was the goal to avoid the third world war. Uh, we, we improved on that. But some of the laudable goals of a unified international trade system where everyone follows the same rules. Historically, we can't say it's really happened here. We have really gone into more uh, multilateral bilateral arrangements, um, uh, trade agreements, if you will, all fully sanctioned by and supported by and uh, given support by uh, the framework that we started under GATT and now under the WTO. So now we're 94, we're in the WTO. Um, WTO had these, these goals, um, more, more pointed than the GATT goals uh, of 1948, but non-discrimination, very importantly, in the sense that we don't discriminate. You know, We are all in one big trading body here. We can't discriminate and say, you will pay more, you will pay less. Uh, that lasted until the, the Trump years, which we'll get to in a bit. All right. Before you go any further, though, let me just say WTO, for those of you that are somewhat novice to this, that's the World Trade Organization. And you uh, may hear us make reference to the WCO, that's the World Customs Organization. World Customs Organization is basically you have industry trade associations where it's like the logistics industry, the, the medical device industry, or whatever it has different uh, associations. Well, the WCO is like a trade association of the customs organizations from around the world. But of course, those are all government entities. But just so WCO is that. WTO, though, that is, uh, can you talk a little bit about the makeup of that, Larry? WTO is obviously an international bound, uh, border uh, organization here, um, and um, it uh, is by agreements. You know, there's no you, know, you can join the thing, but if you agree to join the thing, then you got to follow the rules of the WTO. Uh, then you have the benefits of the WTO. Uh, they stand for a couple of specific things, specific goals are their their, their moniker, if you will. Uh, the first, like I said before, non-discrimination. Uh, all countries that cheat each other are separate, uh, the, uh, the same, non-discrimination based on nationality here. Uh, the concept of opening trade, uh, uh, the thought is that trade is good, and that's uh, and generally good, and we got to see how we do that and whether that affects uh, uh, developing countries the same way uh, that others that are there. 
the third goal of WTO is predictability and transparency. Uh, trading partners around the world should be able to know what business is like going from the uh, from the U.S. to uh, to uh, Bolivia and Chile to France and uh, England to Sweden. You know, this should be a transparent and predictable thing. That's better for business uh, to have that. If you have unpredictable business, you, you can't really run your business. Uh, they want fair competition, um, and specifically they have now procedures like anti-dumping and countervailing duty. Um, uh, and provisions and procedures to avoid unfair competition that uh, people um, can, you can take advantage of the World Trade Organization and um, not play by the same rules here. Specifically articulated by the WTO now is the support for less developed countries. There's a thought that trade can help list companies countries out of uh, poverty, but there's also a realization that sometimes trade uh, help, uh, hurts the problem. Uh, and so we have to handle that just right uh, to make sure that uh, the goals of um, helping less developed countries really worked out. Uh, protection of the environment, inclusion of all people uh, within the training system, partnerships, encouraging dialogue. That's where we have the birth of bilateral, multilateral arrangements here. And of course, now the WTO has begun to look at uh, digital trade and particularly the non-dutiability of digital trade. But just digital trade, recognize how the world is today very different uh, than it was in 1917. So we got to look at things that are different that are there. So, so now we have the WTO. Um, WTO has a lot of the same principles of the gap, um, sometimes a little more fleshed out more specifically, and that's, that's all a good thing here. Um, then we have then we have more developments here. I and mean, this is where uh, WTO is, um, um, is not, I won't say falling apart, but definitely has its challenges now. Uh, the critics of the WTO and GATT will say, we've never really done very well. Uh, the goals, laudable goals, again, just as under GATT for a universal worldwide system of peace and harmony everywhere. This has not really happened here. We've never met those goals, therefore it's a failure. But I think the more informed view is that uh, there's been some gain and some good things that have happened of that. And most countries of the world um, until more recently have said this is a, a good construct uh, and it's better to have discussions on trade levels than on military levels. And so uh, in the past, we have uh, trade, bad trade handling has led to military conflict. Here's one of the things that, I mean, there's multiple reasons, but as a whole, the WTO, it used to be pretty difficult for countries to make sure that they would cross the T's and dot the I's in agreement with the principles of what the WTO was sanctioning and, and, and more of that is, or promoting in, you know, again, open, fair, you know, trade. And uh, I guess the two uh, that were added somewhat a while back, they're a bit controversial is Russia and China. All right. The problem that I see, and we I'm sure we're going to be getting into some of this, but you know, some of the failures of the WTO is, when a country goes in and they agree to become a member and they should be adhering to, again, the open trade, the fair trade, the things of that nature. And yet when a country doesn't do it, this is where my problem has been with the WTO. They haven't held anybody accountable. And, you know, even including is like, you know what, we need to be taking you out of the WTO uh, and, and all of that. What, what do you, what do you think? Well, very, very, very true here. Um, you have the best examples there um, of China and Russia. Uh, the laudable goal of everyone, including here, we got to bring in two, two very large economies, especially especially China. 
uh, we can follow by the same rules here. So they really wanted to be in. And like anyone who wants to join, they have to promise to do certain things. The question is, how do you make them do that? How is their enforcement here? Uh, this is a situation where there, there is a, a, it's all by consensus. There is no army. There is no, there's no rules or the internal rules you have here. Uh, and even those are not, not, not working very well sometimes. So that's a fair criticism uh, that uh, if we're going to have a system of rules-based trade law, then there have to be consequences for not following the rules that from which you benefit. So unquestionably, China and Russia benefited by the joining the WTO. Uh, they, they look good. They joined the world community. They are now um, um, uh, advancing here. The trade certainly helps them very much. Um, uh, I think China and Russia are different in many respects here. Uh, but China wants to, um, uh, to have a much larger uh, domination. Uh, so China uh, goes into other things, which, you know, uh, by themselves are not necessarily violent of WTO rules, as long as they follow WTO rules. So, for example, uh, a topic I've spoken on when I've been in China, it's, uh, like, uh, it's my favorite topic when I'm in China, and that is um, um, a One Belt, One Road uh, initiative. You have Chinese initiative, uh, uh, not in violation necessarily of uh, WTO rules, but uh, definitely um, in addition to them. Uh, the complaints about China is that when they don't follow the rules, there's no consequence for not doing that. Uh, that's, and that's a fair thing. And of course, Russia is an example as well. Um, uh, Russia, uh, even before the Ukraine situation, uh, was arguably not following the rules. So you have to have a, um, um, a system by which there are consequences for that. And we do have a system for that. And it's breaking down right now for reasons I'll get to. But um, the idea was that if uh, a China, if a Russia, the U.S., if any country, uh, violates the principles of the WTO, there's a dispute resolution process uh, by which other countries can complain. It is a, um, a long, lengthy, extremely slow, lawyer-ridden pro process. It is not immediate. So if the U.S. does something wrong today and China complains about it, it may be two years before there's any consequence for that. And by, by then, the damage is done. Um, but there is a process for that, and it's better than shooting at each other, I suppose. It's a slow process and everything, uh, following disputes. And uh, uh, the United States brings a lot of these. We win most of them, uh, but we don't like it when we lose, uh, that's for sure. Uh, the problem with the, the dispute resolution right now is that it's broken. So whether who's right or who's wrong here, you have a system of dispute resolution. Part of where the, um, the international courts... Um, you know, of, of trade law comes into play, right? Uh, now that you have the you have the WTO, um, and uh, they they are a body by itself. There will be a decision by the WTO. Uh, the appeal of that is to the WTO appellate body, uh, and that's where we have the problem because the WTO appellate body are basically lawyers like myself, um, who uh, are the judges at the appellate level. Um, and after that, then the WTO has spoken. Then it's over as far as the WTO is concerned. But the WTO would then enforce whatever sanctions are all by the court. So for example, um, let's say that the United States wins a case against China, goes to the WTO, wins the case, goes to the appellate body, wins the case. We have just won on everything. We're 2-0 we're at the WTO. Then we can start giving, issuing sanctions. WTO sanctions, uh, since we have won and China was wrong and found to be wrong, we can now have uh, tariffs say on on something that's coming in 
we can have some sort of remedy that can uh, that will hurt China at something. It is not a hurt China like Germany was hurt in 1917, but there are consequences, albeit long, long after the offense has actually occurred here. Um, so there are very few things that you can, WTO can, can do immediately, and that's a, that's a bit of a problem here. One that uh, has been out there for between Europe and the U.S. in aerospace. That's probably a good one where that, that went back and forth, and it has for decades, actually, uh, <clears throat> between, uh, between Airbus and Boeing. At one point, McDonnell uh, Douglas was involved. Of course, Boeing bought, acquired McDonnell Douglas eventually. But between Boeing and McDonnell uh, and Airbus, excuse me, between, yeah, Boeing and Airbus, and that dispute back and forth with uh, Europe and all of that, as I recall, now help me out here, as I recall, there was some victories early on for Europe, some for the U.S. It went back and forth kind of whatnot. the most recent. I think the uh, there was support for a lot of positions on the U.S., but then I think the most recent, which would be maybe three, four years ago, the WTO ruled against the U.S. and in favor of Airbus. But I, again, I'm is it that it's back and forth. And a good example of that is might might be the longest running dispute ever. But that that just that length is by that's true. Parties. Um, the WTO has rules about this. Okay, after there's a finding, there has to be a period of discussion. And uh, as long as you're discussing things, everyone's happy here. And so both sides have said another 60 days, another another six months, another year. So there's been dialogue going back and forth all this time. You know, it wasn't like there was this delay. The delay was by decision of the parties. They'd rather talk about this. And over that many decades, there's other considerations here. The model that you were focusing on 30 years ago or 10 years ago is now a new model. And so it becomes a bargaining chip. Okay, well, we're going to do this, but because we got a WT order against you, either way, whether uh, we are on the right side or the wrong side, whoever's on what side, uh, either way, they can now use it as a chip here. Now, well, you owe us because of this, so we should get uh, a little bit more favorable treatment on our latest 777 that's going to come out here. You know, so uh, this is the battle back and forth here. It, it's a little more nuanced than just thinking, oh, God, it takes forever. It took forever because the people want to take forever. Well, it looks like we've done it again. We just can't stop talking. We've got so much content that we're going to have to split this into two episodes. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, stay tuned for next week's episode or in continuation with our guest, Larry. Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure that you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. 
You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situations. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.